Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Matt Henderson, and today we'll be answering your relationship questions. You are watching Relationship Support. At Jill Taylor asks, what are some narcissistic red flags to look out for at the beginning of a relationship? Well, Jill, why don't you go watch the movie Zoolander, and if anything resonates at all, run. Cole Trickle says, is it a red flag my girlfriend has photos of Channing Tatum all over her bathroom? Cole, my question to you is, do you look like Channing Tatum? Because if not, then there's a red flag there, and you should probably run. Also, is she over the age of 13? At Carolina Reaper asks, my new girlfriend has a fear of Tide Pods. Is that a red flag? This is a red flag, but not for the reason that you may think it is. You see, it's likely that she has a fear of Tide Pods only to avoid doing the laundry. At Peter Quinn asks, should I be concerned my girlfriend has two phones? Well, Peter, in my experience, the only two people who ever have two phones are drug dealers and cheaters. If she has a burner phone and isn't dealing that devil's lettuce, then you've got a major problem in your relationship. Red flag. At Shake It Off 88 asks, this guy I like keeps asking what my zodiac sign is. Should I be concerned? At Shake It Off 88, this is a major red flag. What seems harmless in a zo asking a zodiac sign will likely turn into 12 years down the road drinking poison with 11 of his best friends to ascend yourself on a comet passing by Earth. That is a red flag. And this has been Relationship Support. What's up, Freedom House? How's everybody doing today? Come on. We are Aaron and Stephanie Blanton, and we are the campus pastors right here at Central Campus, and we think it's the best campus. I'm just throwing that out there. Absolutely. And you know, I don't know about this guy right here. He goes to preach at all the campuses, and I was down at South End recently, and he said that they were the best campus. I was like, you lying. <laughs> Well, we are Aaron and Stephanie, and we are also part of our teaching team, and our teaching team is a, a team of communicators that goes from campus to campus to make sure that you have a live word every single weekend, and that's a vision of our pastors in our church, and the reason that is is because we want somebody that you can relate with. We want somebody that you can connect with, and I just want to take a moment and give honor where honor is due because our senior pastors are truly making an impact in this city, but not just in this city, globally, especially when it comes to where our country is nowadays. They're at the tip of the spear guiding our country back to the Word of God, and so let's give it up for them. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today. We also have people joining online from New Jersey, Kentucky, Virginia, Maryland, Georgia, Colorado, Washington, and Florida. Let's give it up for them also. Come on. Well, we're excited because today we get to wrap up the Red Flag Series. How many people have enjoyed this Red Flag Series? It's been so great, and I just want to remind us what it's all about. It's all about paying attention. Look at each other and say, pay attention. And the reason we want to pay attention is because there's warning signs that if we avoid, we're going to end up with a red flag, a red flag. So let's talk a little bit about a recap of what we learned so far this month. We've learned how to avoid the red flag of offense. That's having our own offenses, and picking up the offenses of other people. Pastor Olin also taught us about how we shouldn't point out everyone else's sin while ignoring our own. That's a red flag. And then we've even talked about why we avoid red flags in the first place. Pastor Penny did a great job with that. Well, today we're going to get a little bit more specific because we are talking about red flags in relationships, and more specifically, your marriage relationship. We are going there today. Come on, let's go. Hey, when I thought, first thought about red flags, it took me back to my racing days. I'm sure some of you in here can relate, um, but red flags happen in races. And if you don't know it already, I spent over 20 years in racing, specifically in NASCAR, and that was a great time. I had a lot of fun. Our team was really good. We actually won four championships while I was there, over 190 races. So we had success but we understood what it took to get success, right? And that's what it's all about. But NASCAR is uh, one of the largest spectator sports in all across America. Um, they do like 36 races all across the nation, but we get to host right here in Charlotte, the Coca-Cola 600 in May, and it is the longest race of the year. It is 600 miles long, 
over four and a half hours of racing, and over 1,600 left-hand turns. Let that sink in for just a second. I think that's why people don't necessarily love racing because they don't understand why you just keep going in circles. I'll tell you why you go in circles. So you can cross the finish line and win the race. <laughs> take home the check and take home the checkered flag. That's what you're Sounds looking for. Sounds a whole lot like relationships to me. Eh, it could be. Yeah, there were definitely some endurance there for sure. And uh, that is the key to that race. It's endurance. It starts in the daytime. It ends at night. Temperatures change, track temperature changes, climates change, a storm could come through, all kinds of stuff happens. Mm -hmm. So you want to endure and you want to take home the checkered flag. That's what it's all about. And the cool thing is, is that if the driver wants to do this, he has to have the right team. You know, fortunately, we had the right team that I worked on. But the, having the right team is, is key. You have to have the right person beside you and you have to be able to communicate with them. If you're not able to communicate well, well, the race is not going to go yeah. well. If you lose your radios and they go out, guess what? Your race is going to be uh, very, very hard. Um, the other thing the driver has to do is he has to know and he has to follow the rule book. Mm. He just can't make up his own rules in the middle of the race and expect to win. It just doesn't happen that way. And here's the thing. On a race that long, pit stops are not optional. They're necessary. So when they come in on pit stops, they have to make the right adjustments to, in order to keep their their car being the fastest one on the racetrack so they can finish the, the race first, right? And the next thing is he has to pay attention to the flags. Right. We're talking about red flags today, but there are two other flags we want to talk about. The checker flag, we want to endure, and we also want you to watch out for the yellow flags. Mm -hmm. See, the yellow flags, when they come out, it says slow down, pay attention. Yep. What in the world's going on? Something's happening on the racetrack, and you need to slow down and pay attention. If you don't pay attention... You could hurt yourself or you could hurt someone else. Right. And what I've seen happen before is when you ignore the yellow flag, it turns into a red flag situation. And I want to show you guys a video today. I want you to see how the yellow flag, not paid attention to, not heated, turned into a red flag. Check out this video. And what? now, under caution, Juan Pablo Montoya has crashed and gone aflame. Holy cow, what happened? We just got a report that he was complaining about a bad vibration in every gear. No, I, Larry, he just slammed he into the jet dryer. I think he slammed into the jet dryer. They're trying to clear debris off the racetrack, and the car brakes, won't steer, and he slides up the track and into the back of that surplus helicopter jet engine on a trailer used to dry the racetrack. Larry, uh, Mike, I saw sparks coming out from the car as if it had a tire down or something. What an incredible turn of events I've never, I've never in my life. Oh my gosh. And all that spilled jet fuel found something hot to ignite it. Safety workers quickly on the scene. And this is a bizarre twist to this Daytona 500. Down in turn number three. Well, I've seen a lot of things, but I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. Absolutely crazy. What in the world happened? How in the world did Juan Pablo crash into the jet dryer? Well, first of all, he didn't slow down during the yellow flag. He was flying down the backstretch, ignored the yellow flag, and lost control. He even reported that he had a vibration in his car, there was something wrong, and he completely ignored the warning signs. He never made the pit stop, never take a, took a look at what was going on, and he lost control, hit the jet dryer, about killed himself, about killed the guys in the truck, and everything blew up. Right. Man, oh man. Now here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to ignore the yellow flags in our relationships. Because if we do, they turn into red flag situations like separation and divorce. God does not want that in our relationships. And he especially doesn't want that in our marriage relationships. So today we're going to talk about how to crash-proof your marriage. That's the title of our message. We want to encourage you to get your uh, app out, go to the Freedom House app, take some notes if you use an app on your phone, because today it's so, so important to understand what the yellow flags in relationships are, and especially in your marriage relationship. 
Now, what I want to say is that every one of us should pay attention today because some of us maybe want to be married. And so we can learn now about how to be married when that time comes. Some of us are married, and then some of us maybe have been married and been through a relational crash already. And so we want to learn from that. We want to grow from that. We don't want to end up in the same crash that we had before. Now, last week, Pastor Penny shared a few stats. I want to bring those back to the table because these are really, really important. Number one, she shared that 50% of first marriages end in divorce. That's half the people that go to the altar to say, I do. Half. That is a staggering stat. This one's worse. 78% of second marriages end in divorce. We have to learn how to pay attention to the flags that God puts in front of us, the warning signs that he puts in front of us, because that's a whole lot of crashes, and that's a whole lot of collateral damage. Trust me, you don't want to end up there. Now, on the contrary, she shared another stat that is so hopeful, so hopeful. She said that 99% of married couples who pray together stay together. That tells us that by putting God in the driver's seat of our life and in the center of our marriage, we will cross the finish line. Well, how do you put God in the driver's seat? You follow his rule book. His rule book is the Bible, and it defines marriage. And I want to review that with you because it's now more important than ever that we understand in our culture today what marriage is. And this is what the Bible says. It says that marriage is holy matrimony. It's meant to be holy. God designed it to be beautiful and holy. What does that mean? That means it's set apart for complete devotion. It's sacred, and it's sacrificial, just like Christ sacrificed himself for the church. Marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ's love for the church. It's meant to be example for everyone else to see how God loves the church. Number two, it is a union between one man and one woman. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. It is oriented toward procreation. That means that we get to be fruitful and multiply. At least practice on the way, right? Amen. Come on, all the married people said. It is also covenantal and lifelong. That means that it's not a contract with an end date. And it's not a contract that's meant to be ripped up or broken. No, it's supposed to be lifelong. Here's what I want us to understand. Marriage is God's idea. It is God's idea. It began at creation when God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. You know, the first marriage ceremony, whether you realize this or not, is in Genesis 2. It's when God presented Eve to Adam, and he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That was the first marriage ceremony. That means that marriage originated with God and is therefore defined by God. I want you to write that down. Marriage is originated with God and is therefore defined by God. That means that we don't look anywhere else but the Bible to define marriage. The government can't define marriage. Schools can't define marriage. Only the Bible defines marriage because the author wrote the book on it. All right, so why am I saying this? Well, I'm not here to tell you everything that there is to know about marriage. There's no way we can do that in this short period of time. But here's what I want you to know. The world's way is not working. It's not working. All you have to do is look outside these doors and even honestly inside these doors. Sometimes marriage is not working because we're not following God's plan. We're not following his rule book. But if we do, follow his plan, follow his rule book. If we define our lives by what he says about marriage and we pursue him, God's way does work. But we have to do the work. And today we're gonna learn how to do marriage God's way. And how we're gonna do that is by looking at the story of two lovers in the Bible who were in hot pursuit of one another. We're not talking about Adam and Eve, no. We are talking about a little bit of a hotter relationship. Absolutely. It's, it's a little steamy up in here. That's right. We're <laughs> going to talk about King Solomon and the Shulamite woman. 
And you all know, King Solomon was the wisest man on earth, right? Yep. And this wise guy thought the Shulamite was dynamite. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, come on. All you got to do is read up to this point. You got it nailed exactly what a relationship's supposed to look like, oh, yeah. right? Song and, of Solomon. You know, Solomon had quite a few wives, so I think he knew how to attract the ladies. And I don't think this he This one was different, though. Eh, maybe. Yeah, maybe, this one was different. I, I don't think he actually did the Barry White thing. I don't think he did that. I think Solomon would be more of the guy to kind of drop a beat, if you know what I mean. And he kind of, kind of looks at the woman, and he's like, you know, I'm the king. Well, you can be my queen, if you know what I mean, and let's do the what? No, 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 no. Can't go there yet. Sorry. That's a few verses there, later. <laughs> Keep reading. Go past that. But seriously, Solomon was so in love with this lady. And here's what he, he did. He wrote an entire book of the Bible about their relationship. Yeah. It's so cool. It's so beautiful. And in chapter 2, the conversation kind of went a little bit something like this. Behold, the voice of my beloved. He comes leaping over the mountains. My beloved is like a young stag or gazelle. But then he looks at her and he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Figs are ripening. Vines are in blossom. <laughs> they give forth their fragrance. In other words, the smell of love is in the air, right? Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And all the couples out here know exactly what he was talking about. You know, I'm not hanging up the phone first, baby. You hang up the phone first. I want to just keep talking to you. Or you make the detour on the way home just so you can see her for 10 minutes and get one extra kiss on the day. You know exactly what Drive hundreds of miles about. in long-distance relationships. Absolutely. Never worrying about how much it's going to cost you. None of that. You are just in hot pursuit of this That's new right. relationship. Well, this is exactly where they were. They were all in. The green flag was out. They were running their race, and he was making his moves. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm not even kidding, she kills the mood. She kills the mood. Right in the middle of their date, she throws a caution flag. What she was saying here was, pay attention. I want you to, get, I want you to see something. I want you to catch something here. Pay attention because... If you don't pay attention, if we don't pay attention to this, this could ruin this relationship that we have. Man, what's this caution flag that we're talking about that she threw right in his face? Well, we're going to look at it. It's in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, where she says to him, Solomon, Solomon, pay attention. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. What she was saying is our relationship is growing, it's budding, it's blooming, and I don't want anything to ruin it. I care about you too much, so make sure you catch the little foxes for us. Yeah, catch that. What is the little foxes? Why would she say this? Because the Shulamite woman actually kept track of the vineyards. She watched over the vineyards, and she knew if the foxes weren't catched, they would eventually ruin the vineyard. See, they had to be dealt with right away because over time, an entire crop could be wiped out. Yeah. So this is why she was saying yeah, that. Yeah, so the trouble with these sneaky foxes is that they would, they would sneak in the vineyard when the farmer was asleep. And since they couldn't reach the fruit, they would nibble away at the root. And they would nibble and they would nibble and they would nibble until the vine fell. And that's exactly what the enemy does in our relationships. He nibbles slowly away at the root until the relationship falls. If we're going to avoid a relational crash, we've got to be aware of these little foxes that can destroy our marriages and cause collateral damage. You see, it's not just about us. When a relationship fails, it causes a whole lot of collateral damage to our families. Yeah, now men, here's what I want you to catch about this. She is telling him to catch the foxes. Can they do it together? Absolutely. But she wants him to lead. Good. It's exactly what she's telling him. She's saying, hey, catch these foxes. Just don't turn away from them. Don't, don't bury the stuff under the rug. Catch the little foxes for us so our relationship continues to grow and it doesn't become destroyed. See, that's our God-given role. We're to lead. Men watch, they warn, and they war. That's what we're called to do. And here's exactly what she is saying for him to do. Watch. 
and warned if something's coming. She wanted him to lead in this moment. So what are some of these foxes? Well, I would like to say the foxes are like you squeezing the tube of toothpaste in the middle of the tube and I squeezing it from the end like it should be done. <laughs> but I don't think that's a little fox. All right, so how about how you tell me how to drive all the time? That's a fox. That's a big fox. No, no, no. She's on the gas, but she's on the brake. There's no in between, but that's not a little fox. It's not even me shrinking her clothing. No. Hey, that is so true. But at least I'm doing the laundry. You do shrink my clothing. Well, it happens every yeah, now and then. Yeah, at least he is doing the laundry. No, I know you guys want to know what the little foxes are, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, but where we want to take you first is back to the altar, back to where mm, your marriage so vows good. We're given to one another, and you said, I do. So you're not going to tell them what the foxes are yet, babe? No, we're not going to get there yet. Oh, all no. right. Okay, you'll have to wait. But I want to talk about some scriptures that were probably read at all of your marriages. They're coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and they're the most popular scriptures read at every wedding. That's so good. Well, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7, and I want you to see this. It's a beautiful picture of love, and you've probably heard this at the altar. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, when you were looking in each other's eyes, that's all you could think about is how it endures, how it believes, how it hopes. But I bet you missed what was in the middle of those verses. Did you really pay attention? I bet you never saw what's there. We're going to read that verse again, and here's what I want you to look at. Look at what's on the screens and tell me what you see in the middle of these verses. All right, here we go. Love is patient. Love does not envy or boast. Fox and a fox right there. It is not arrogant. Fox. Or rude. Fox. It does not insist on its own way. Another fox. It is not irritable. Fox. It is not resentful. Fox. It, it, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Another fox fox. But it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all these little foxes. <laughs> yeah. There they were. The sneaky little foxes looking you right in the face, and most of us missed them. Yep. There are eight foxes in the middle of these verses, and those are the eight caution flags. Mm. The caution flags we're supposed to heed so we don't end up in a red flag situation. So today, we're going to wave each one of those one by one, and I want you to pay attention. Yeah, take some notes. All right, so um, not only are we going to share the caution flag, but we are also going to share how you can make necessary adjustments to go back to green flag racing. So go ahead and take some notes, but here's something else I want to do. I want to encourage you not to throw the caution flag in your spouse's face. This is not about what they're doing wrong. This is a time of self-examination. So make sure if you're going to throw a caution flag, you're throwing it at yourself. So caution flag number one. All right, you ready? Here we go. Love does not envy. Envy is the desire to possess another's gifts, position, possessions, or achievements. And we have a very good story about that. So early on in our marriage, we lived in our nice little house. We had a lot of great friends but what was happening is a lot of our great friends were building bigger houses. And we looked at each other and we're like, hmm. Yeah, if they can do it, we should do it. We ought to do it too. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we did. We decided together to go ahead and buy the big house. We moved into the big house and guess what we found out? The big house too big. is too big. We didn't need the big house. And then we started thinking about it a little bit more. You know what? Buying the big house didn't even align with our family goals. We wanted to have a kid. We wanted her to be able to stay home with the baby. And what that was going to do is put financial pressure, an extra weight on our marriage mm -hmm. by staying in that big house. Yeah, and that was keeping up with the Joneses. That's exactly that that is this fox. Envy will cause you to keep up with the Joneses. And if we're going to go back to green flag racing, we have a couple of tips for you. First of all, be grateful for what God has given you. Be content. That was the problem. We had this nice, beautiful, brand new house. 
but we weren't content with what God had given us. We were chasing after things we should have never been chasing after. We were trying to keep up with the Joneses. And what envy does, it really puts a weight on your marriage that you were never even meant to carry. You know, so going back to green looks like get in alignment with one another and then get in alignment with God for your marriage, not somebody else's. And quite honestly, that might even mean selling the house. That's exactly what we Or selling whatever is putting financial pressure on your marriage so that you can go back to green flag racing so that you can get the checkered flag. Exactly. All right, caution flag number two. Love does not boast. Now, simply put, boasting is bragging. Now, why do people brag? Well, they do it for a couple reasons. Number one, to make themselves feel or look better. Why? Either they're prideful or they have insecurity that they're trying to hide. Guys, we know we do this, right? We talk about the fish that was this big when it was really this big. You know, we always try to make things look better than what they really are. You know, we're talking about the game last night that we played or whatever and just try to make it sound so good. But if that creeps into our marriage, Mm -hmm. here's what that looks like. Our job, we're struggling. The boss is on our case. Maybe we didn't get the deal we were supposed to, but your wife asks you how things are going, and you say, oh, they're great. Everything's going well. And you're actually hiding what's going on at your job every single day. That's a tough place to be in because actually you're boasting. You're portraying something to be what it's really not. And what that can do is it can lead to mistrust in your marriage. That's so good. All right, ladies, let's be honest. We brag too. We brag about all the things that we do. We do the grocery shopping. We do the cooking. We take the kids to their activities. We go to work. We come home. We clean the house. If we're not careful, I see some people smiling over there. I don't know what's (laughs) happening. um, If we're not careful, we can start bragging so much about what we do that we start to complain about what he's not doing. And then bragging becomes nagging. And you know what the Bible says about a nagging wife? It says that it's better for the man to dwell on the housetop, on the roof, in the weather, in the storms, in the elements, than in the house with a nagging wife. Nobody likes that. No. Nobody likes nagging, and nobody likes bragging, and nobody wants to be around somebody like that, right? So regardless of who's boasting, here's the danger in it. Boasting builds a barrier. It builds a barrier. When there's a lack of honesty, it builds a barrier. When there's nagging, it builds a barrier. And this barrier keeps us from developing what we all want, intimacy in our marriage, and not just in the bedroom. Yep, that's exactly right. So to go back to green flag racing on this one, you have to be humble, and you have to be honest. You have to lay down the table and mm-hmm. say, hey, babe, this is what's going on, and have that intimacy That's really what intimacy is. It carries over in so many other areas rather than just the bedroom. So good. Okay. All right. Caution flag number three. You ready? I'm ready. You guys ready? Okay. Love is not arrogant. Mm. Arrogance means to exaggerate one's worth or importance. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. We just talked about that. That's boasting. Well, they sound synonymous, but they're really not. Because if boasting is the speech, arrogance is the mindset. So it's a little bit deeper, all right? This kind of goes like this, the mindset of, I don't need to pray. I don't need God's input in what's going on in my life right now. I got this. I'm the man. I can do it on my own. It looks like, I don't need my spouse's input. I'm just going to handle this and take care of it. It may also look like together that you decide not to go to counseling Because what if your friends ask questions of why you're going to counseling? Are you going to be embarrassed by it? That's what boasting and and having that arrogance looks like. It's actually a mindset much deeper, and it puts you in a place where it could be very dangerous to your marriage. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Mm. We really have to check ourselves in this. To go back to green flag racing, you have to have humility. You really do. You have to understand that you do need God and you do need others in your life. And you also have to understand that God knew that we would wrestle with pride. It's the very thing that kicked Lucifer out of heaven. So we will we'll deal with pride. And he wrote all kinds of scriptures on how to deal with it. All you got to do is go back through Proverbs. It's all laid out yeah, how so to counteract good. that. 
All right, so caution flag number four. We're almost halfway through. Are you tracking with us? All right. Love is not rude. Now, rudeness is anything from a lack of courtesy to vulgarity. That's a wide span. It's offensive, it's insulting, and it's coarse. I'm going to tell on myself on this one. Okay. All right, so when we first got married, I used to come home and talk to Steph, and she would say, you can't talk to me like that. Like, what are you talking about? She goes, you can't talk to me like that. Guys, have you ever been clueless? I was clueless. This is part of figuring out the wife thing and how she's communicating, but then it hit me. She said, you cannot talk to me like one of the guys. I'm like, hmm, okay, so I have to assess how do I talk with the guys and how do I talk to my wife? Well, with the guys, I can be a little more coarse. I can, you know, the jokes can be a little more pungent. You know, it's bam, hit them with it. But when I came home, I couldn't treat her like that. No, I had to be a little more tender. I had to love her the way she needed to be loved. And I could not talk to her in the same manner. So I had to assess what I was doing and how to take care of that. And so if that is you. If you find yourself being rude, I got two words for you. You ready? Catch these. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Assess what's going on, how you're delivering that, what you're saying, and just stop it. As a matter of fact, I know what? I got some marriage counseling for you, free. Go to YouTube today, look up Bob Newhart, and look up Stop It. It is mind-blowing what he's going to say in that, and it's going to set you free is what's going to happen. I guarantee it. So we have to change our delivery. We have to change our delivery. That was the best preaching you did all day. Thanks. Appreciate that. All right, caution flag number five. Love does not insist on its own way. In other words, it is not selfish. Look at everybody and say, love is not selfish. Love is not selfish. When we get married, we can't live like we're still single. No, we can't. And we shouldn't live like roommates either where we're just taking up space and doing our own thing. Two becoming one means we share everything. I'm going to tell on Aaron one more time. Is that good? So when we were married, when we were first married, um, we combined all of our bank accounts. And we just decided that we were going to be a couple that follows the word of God. A couple that says when two come together, they become one in marriage. That means we share everything. So that's what we decided. Great. Combined everything. Well, a few months later, I discovered that my name was not on his stock account, which means it was still his stock account. And so I was like, hey, did you miss this account? You know, did you miss putting my name on it? And he was like, oh, I've just been, you know, I've been busy, been procrastinating, whatever. Okay, no problem. Okay, can you get it done? <laughs> Another couple months go by. My name's still not on the stock account. And then I start wondering, is there some mistrust here that he wants to withhold the stock account from me? Is he afraid I'm going to take all his money and run? Like, what is up with this? And it started to create this mistrust in our marriage. And here's the key with this. When you're married, you have to share anything, everything. It's no longer my house, my kids, my car, my stuff. You can't wear my shirt because I like to steal a shirt sometimes. Uh, and it's no longer my body. It's no longer my body. That means that I even have to share my body. Now it's really getting hot in here. That's all right. I'll share mine too. I ain't worried about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> to go back to green flag racing, we have to share everything and make sacrifices. Just like Christ did for the church. You know, if you want a model of it, go back and look what Christ did for the church. He sacrificed everything yeah. for the church. And now we get to be in unity with him. How cool is that? So caution flag number six, are you ready? Love is not irritable. Irritability is being easily annoyed or angered. It is someone who's always on edge and the slightest thing pushes them over the edge. It's like things are bubbling up inside until they get to the point where they blow up. Yeah, and if we are easily angered or we have a lot emotional outbursts, we go from silence to violence, then we've got to check what's at the root of that. So I'm going to give you an example. If you have a splinter in your hand and Aaron goes to touch my hand, let's just say I have a splinter, he goes to touch my hand, and I have a reaction. Did he hurt me? 
Well, yeah, he hurt me because my hand's infected. But is that his problem or my problem? Well, because we're married, it's our problem. So one of the best things that you can do to go back to green flag racing when it comes to irritability is to say, honey, I have an infection. Could you help me get this out? I really don't know how to do it on my own. I've tried. It's not working. Could you, could you take a look at this for me? Could you help me get this out? Which that's totally different than coming at me and saying, you hurt me. Look, I was wounded and you hurt me. Right. You have to have a good bedside manner. You really do. Both you have to come people. at it with tenderness. Right. Yes. Because if you're help, helping me get this out, it's not going to work if you're just trying to fix the problem. Like if you're just saying all the things that sometimes I just want you to listen. Like sometimes I'll just say to him, hey, I have something going on and I don't really want you to fix this right now. I just want you to listen. We can fix it later. Like you'll get to do that. But right now I just want you to listen. And he's got to have a good, good bedside manner. So a simple formula for removing irritations is acknowledge, ask, and apply. First of all, acknowledge there is actually a wound. It might be her perception, but her perception is her reality in that moment. Mm, so good. You have to acknowledge that. Number two, ask what is causing the irritation and actually get to the root of it. You know, it's, it's usually a little bit below the surface mm -hmm. more than what you're actually seeing. Mm -hmm. And then next, you have to apply love and truth. You have to talk them through it and lay it out on the line again. That's right. So we have given them six caution flags. Yep, we've got two we more to go. We have two more to go, so stay with us. Now, here's the thing. Up to this point, we've given you a green flag after every point. These last two, we're going to combine a little bit. We're going to give you how to go back green at the very end because these last two, they're heavy. They're not just a quick gas and go, make a quick pit stop, get back on the racetrack and run. Mm -mm. No, they might take a little bit more effort than that. Mm -hmm. So go ahead with number seven. All right, caution flag number seven, love is not resentful. Being resentful means to calculate every wrong and keep a record. It's finding fault in everything. And here's what I want you to know. Resentment comes from a wound that you have not addressed and that has not been healed in your life. And it may not be a wound between the two of you. It might be a wound that you brought into the relationship. And because it was never dealt with, it's not only infected, you've become infected. Let's go back to that splinter. If you don't take care of that and it becomes infected, that can easily move. That infection can move to your heart and that infection can move to your mind. And then all of a sudden, your whole being is infected. Now, how do you know if you're infected? How do you know if you're resentful? Four ways. You constantly complain. Everything's a complaint. You demonstrate passive-aggressive behavior. You want to punish each other. You're mad at God, and you're mad at the world. You know, the sad thing about being resentful is that if you're always expecting disappointment, you're going to live a life of disappointment. You're going to have chronic disappointment. Whatever you're looking for, you will find it. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. If you're looking for the good things in people, you're going to find the good things. If you're looking for disappointment, every day you're going to find it. That's right. I guarantee it. So we have one more caution flag to go. Caution flag number eight, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Wrongdoing is an injustice or an unrighteousness of the heart that is reflected out in ungodly behavior. It doesn't just happen. It begins with the heart and flows from there. Mm. So you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to commit an injustice against my wife. No, it doesn't happen that way. It's a slow fade. Mm. See, the fox doesn't come in and ruin the vineyard overnight. Yeah. The fox actually does it little by little and destroys the vineyard. So we're going to talk about several wrongdoings. There are four of them. I've categorized them this way. Number one, it's addictions. Number two, abuse. Number three, adultery. And number four, abandonment. And I'm going to talk about each one. Addictions can be anything from constant gaming, gambling, drugs, alcohol, workaholism, people approval, and even porn. Abuse. It can be physical but it can also be verbal. Adultery is stepping outside of the marriage to have physical needs met or emotional needs met. And the last one is abandonment, which is a betrayal of any vows 
you made at the altar. These wrongdoings have a severe impact on marriage and they can cause collateral damage to both family and friends of the relationship. If either one of these two caution flags have hit you, here's what I want you to understand. You're not just gonna pull on the pits real quick and take care of this. It's not a quick conversation. It's actually pulling in the garage. It's lifting the hood and digging in to the engine because there's some type of internal issue going on here. When it affects your heart and your mind, it's much deeper. There's a lot going on there. And I want you to understand the seriousness of this because it takes time. It takes effort. It takes being willing to have honesty. You know, I've been struggling with this for a while. I've been holding this against you for a while. Pull in the pits, go in the garage and see what needs to happen here. You know, there's a couple things we wanna recommend. It's number one, you have to be honest with one another. You have to be willing to say, yep, this yellow flag, it's been flying for a while. And I wanna take care of it. So I'm willing to be honest and lay it on the table today. I want you to schedule an appointment this week with a Christian counselor and talk it over. Don't delay anymore. Why would you continue to let this strife build in your marriage? Remember, if it's undealt with, it could eventually lead to the entire vineyard being gone. It's gonna take time to make the repairs necessary and then start to rebuild that trust again. And I want you to invite people to pray for you. You don't have to tell them all the details. You don't have to get them all in the nitty gritty, but you can say, you know what? We're going through something right now and I'd love for your prayers. See, God knows. They don't have to know everything, but all they have to do is intercede for you and say, God, you know what's going on and I'm asking for your your intervention right now in their marriage. It's really that simple. More than anything else, Here's my plea. Make God the the driver of your life. Put him in the driver's seat. Make the shift. Quit doing it on your own all the time. Put God in the driver's seat of your life and then put him in the center of your marriage. That's the best thing you can do. We've told on Aaron a lot today, so now I'm gonna tell him myself. Um, he's not the first person I've been married to. You know, some of you already know that if we have a relationship, but there's probably a lot of people in this room that don't know that. And you think there's this pretty package and I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of damage. There's a lot of damage that has been in my past. And it started off when I, well, you know, throughout my childhood, I struggled a lot. My father abandoned me. Um, And I was always looking for somebody to love me. And so I left Ohio. I moved down to Charlotte. I knew somebody that moved here from Ohio. And I just wanted to run from all the pain of my childhood. And I raced down here to Charlotte. And I got down here. And within two months of being here, I ended up pregnant outside of marriage. Now, I didn't know Jesus. So I don't beat myself up for any of that because I was just doing what the rest of the world was doing. Like, I didn't know any better. Um, But I got pregnant, and I thought, let me fix this. Jesus wasn't in the driver's seat of my life, so somebody had to fix it. So let me fix this. How am I going to fix this? Oh, I'll just get married. So two months later, after I found out I was pregnant, we ended up driving down to Lancaster, South Carolina. Many of you know where that is. And on the way down there to get married, I asked him, I said, hey, do you love me? And his response was no, but I'll learn to. Great intentions, like both of us had great intentions. We were gonna fix what we did, but our marriage was not based on God. We, did, we had no foundation to base our marriage on. Neither one of us knew Jesus. And so we get into this marriage and there's lots of Damage. There's lots of hurt from both of our childhoods. And we come into this relationship 
And we end up arguing. We end up, you know, neglecting one another. We're not there for one another. There's some wrongdoing that happens in the relationship. We end up in a crash. We're on the side of the road. Depression, fear, hurt, shame, guilt. And here's the worst part. Collateral damage. I told you I had a child. And here she is in the midst of all of this, this wreckage. And not long after the divorce, we ended up in a custody battle. We were fighting for who would have full custody. A lot of hurt, a lot of wasted years, a lot of wasted time, only to have the same 50-50 custody that we started with. She would have to go back and forth from house to house every three to four days, her entire childhood. I caused a lot of damage. But here's how good God is. I ended up in a church one day and I heard about a God, a man who loved me so much that he sacrificed his life for me. That's everything that I was looking for. It's everything that I needed. And he got in the driver's seat of my life and he started helping me get back on track. He started helping me clean up all the debris and all the wreckage and all the mess. And not long after I walked the aisle, my daughter at seven years old also walked the aisle. She got baptized in that church. I remember during that time, just my whole life being cleaned up. It was a process, of course. But I gave my life to Jesus. And not only did I give my life to him, I went all in. I fell in love with Jesus. And do you know, two weeks after I made Jesus my number one, God gave me my number two. He gave me my number two. And what I want us to know is that our spouse is not meant to be our number one. They are not going to be all, they're not going to meet all of our needs. Pastor Troy says, I make a great husband, but I make a lousy Jesus. He's not going to meet every need that I have, but my God will. And here's how good he is. Just this past January, Aaron and I on January 2nd celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. I was a statistic. I'm no longer a statistic because God took the wheel. Jesus took the wheel and he helped me clean up my life. Here's the best part of it all. I have a picture that I want to show you. This is my daughter, the one that went back and forth. The one whose childhood was a result of a divorce and she had all this trauma. There she is. This was taken on Thanksgiving. Her name's Brittany, her husband, Michael. Then we have Levi, Isaac, and Eli, and all of them are going to church. You see, they're serving the Lord. They're in the church every single weekend. And the best part of it all is that she's teaching those boys how to put God in the driver's seat of their life. Every single day, she's sowing seeds. She's sowing the Bible. She's sowing the Word of God. He's sowing the Word of God in their lives. You can't tell me that God doesn't restore. She's a picture of restoration. She's... She's my picture of restoration. He's my picture of restoration. My youngest daughter is my picture of restoration. I started with a broken family and then now God has given me this beautiful family. And this isn't about us. It's about him. Can you stand with us? You know, maybe today you're at a point where you You've crashed. Maybe you've been trying to run this race by yourself and you've gone off course. And God's saying, come back. Make me your number one. Put me in the driver's seat. Let me help guide and direct your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now. If that's you, You've never made God 
the center of your life. You've never asked him for forgiveness. You've never received all the love that he has for you. I'm gonna ask you right now, if you want that, if you wanna accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus has for you, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I want all of us to repeat this together. I'm going to say a simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Be my number one. I give my life to you. And I receive life from you. Thank you for going to the cross. Taking all my sin upon you. And you're getting up out of the grave and giving me new life. Thank you, Jesus, for all you're going to do in my life. I give it all over to you now. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're here today with your spouse or your fiance, I want you to grab their hand right now. I want to pray over each and every couple. With heads bowed right now, eyes closed. If any of these caution flags hit you today, you know they're waving and you want to deal with them. While I'm praying, I want you to squeeze the hand of your spouse or your fiance, and I want you to have a conversation this week. Don't put it off any longer. So as I'm praying, just squeeze their hand and do the work. It's time. Heavenly Father, you see each and every relationship in here. You see each and every marriage. Lord, you've seen the struggles that we go through. And Lord, right now we lay them down at your feet. We're asking you, God, to take and be the center of our marriage. We don't want to have collateral damage. We don't want to be the ones who cause other people to hurt. Lord, renew our marriages right now. Give them new strength, new courage, new boldness, God. Lord, I rebuke the generational curse of divorce off people right now. Divorce was never your design. Your design is to be in the middle so you can encourage us, so you can strengthen us, so you can draw us closer together. And thank you, Lord, for setting the example of what Christ did for the church. So Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing upon every marriage in here. I pray your hand to be upon everyone. Make that marriage fruitful, God. Bless it. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.